everyone, it is Stephanie Postles, the host of Up Next in Commerce. Before we get into our latest interview with another e-commerce leader, I wanted to let you know that the Up Next in Commerce podcast is now available for sponsorship for the first time ever. By partnering with us, your company will be connected to interviews with the most compelling founders, CEOs, VPs, and digital leaders in the world of commerce today. You have nothing to gain but thousands of followers and millions of impressions each and every month. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with our team at Up Next in Commerce. The one biggest insight in a lot of brands I would say come to us for is we want to understand what the rest of our vertical is doing. How are they being successful? What are they doing to target consumers? We sit on mountains of data that we can then drive from an insights perspective to the brand that, hey, based off of where you're selling today and based off of where you should be selling tomorrow, we're going to help you build a strategy on a end-to-end perspective. Why don't more companies offer affordable international shipping? The answer is because navigating the world of VAT, customs, international duties, and other intricacies make this too much of a headache for most e-commerce operators. Additionally, technical components, payment options, logistics, and yes, varying holiday calendars are all variables that a company needs to consider when it is expanding globally. It's nearly impossible to do without some sort of help. So the question becomes, how do you face this nightmare ready and prepared? That's where Matthew Merrilees comes in. Matthew is the CEO North America for Global E, and they solve these problems. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, Matthew shares the ins and outs of what it takes to equip your e-commerce brand for international expansion. Whether you need to address currency concerns or want to understand the data that drives your competitors to success in the market, Matthew shares those secrets and more on today's episode. Enjoy. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Respond quickly to changing customer needs with flexible e-commerce connected to marketing, sales, and service. Deliver intelligent commerce experiences your customers can trust across every channel. Together, we're ready for what's next in commerce. Learn more at salesforce.com slash commerce. Welcome back to another episode of Up Next in Commerce. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, co-founder of Mission.org. And today on the show, we have Matthew Merrilees, the CEO North America at Global E. Matthew, welcome. Hey, pleasure to be here, Stephanie. Thanks so much for having me. So I wanted to dive in a bit into your background. It looks like you've worked at a lot of different logistics companies. So before we touch on Global E, I was hoping we could go over your background a bit and how you got to where you are. Yeah, for sure. So just, I, I mean, I guess a bit about, you know, me, my background uh, definitely started, uh, I would say from call it my family history, right? Just a family history of, of fathers and brothers and, and uh, you know, call it family members who, who grew up in operations logistics and, uh, and obviously leading here to e-commerce. So I think uh, as I followed the, uh, the family tree and fell into place, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, all in all, it definitely did kind of kick off and start my career at DHL Express, where I spent, you know, quite quite a number of years in various different, you know, positions, leadership roles and such. And then, you know, made a transition to FedEx um, where I, I definitely did, you know, a lot of the same and, and obviously now here at Globally. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, when you look at the, uh, the background uh, straight from university into uh, the logistics arena was, uh, was, yeah, was quite exciting. Yep. Very cool. So tell me a little bit about Global E. What is the company and 
what kind of customers do you guys have and how do you interact with them? Yeah, for sure. So Global E, I mean, what we are is is a, a cross-border enablement platform, right? I mean, we, we focus primarily in three different arenas that that support our brands, which is is in boosting international conversion rates, um, which is boosting overall sales and revenue, of course. Um, and then most importantly, boosting customer satisfaction uh, for an international transaction, right? So I think when you look at the vast portfolio of, of brands that we work with from you know, a global perspective. I mean, we work with over 350 enterprise global brands, right? So when you look at some of the likes of, let's just call it Forever 21, Reformation, Anastasia Beverly Hills, Marc Jacobs, Hugo Boss, Versace. Um, but I think when you look at the broad gamut of, of brands, I mean, you know, it, it is something that is to me always eye-opening, um, just, you know, how, how we're able to help take an international transaction and really truly localize it to a way that that consumer in that individual market would, you know, would really expect to buy online. And I think there's a lot of barriers when you look at that international market and, and how we help, you know, these brands really position that, that data, that knowledge, that insight, that expertise is, is really, you know, I'd say where, where we come in and, and help. Cool. And what kind of, what stage does a company need to be at to partner with Global E? Do they need to be as big as Forever 21 or could a new D2C company also, you know, utilize your guys' services? So really it's any size, shape or brand. I mean, we, you know, I would say just over, I think seven years ago now, we, we deployed the business, right? And, and I think we came out of the gate with a very strong enterprise focus. But I think, you know, as we evolved, we saw the demand and market for small, medium you know, enterprise type brands, um, really it's any size, shape or brand who has, let's just call it a, an e-commerce platform running an, an online digital storefront. And it is, you know, someone that obviously has an, an e-commerce strategy uh, in place today. So it's not just the bigs that I think, you know, you, you see in the market that we, we continue to focus on and, and come into the portfolio. I think it's also, you know, those brands that are digitally native that are, are really looking to capture revenue outside of, of their home market. So I think it's really any size, shape, or, or size customer that, that could lead to that discussion. Cool. I was hoping we could kind of start the episode there around what are maybe some international fails you see happening with brands right now or hiccups that maybe new companies are, would encounter if they don't use a solution that figures out you know, all the different challenges when selling cross-borders. Yeah, for sure. I think sales are, are important, obviously. I think you know brands um, all have different approaches to sale, right? There are some heavy sale brands by design. There are some flash sale businesses out there um, that really, you know, drive high, heavy traffic to a limited amount of inventory. And then I think uh, there's your typical sale holidays where everyone's on sale, <laughs> which is, mm-hmm. you know, typically your Black Friday um, type periods that we, we recognize here in the North American market. Um, but I think as brands start to think uh, internationally and think what sales exist outside of just, you know, this U.S. home market for us, we start to really get into the, you know, the education process, which is, you know, number one, what are the holidays? that are happening outside of, of the USA, right? Is it Singles Day? Is it Boxing Day? Is it Click Frenzy in Australia, for example? Which I think is the beginning part for a lot of the brands that we tend to work with is, hey, number one, what are the holidays? And where do these holidays exist? And then, you know, number two, how do you get prepared in order to approach that consumer? You know, is it a similar approach that we have to a domestic customer here in the US or do they need to be spoken to and treated in a, in a unique way? Um, that more relates to them in that market. So I think sales are, are critically important, but I think as a brand, the awareness of, of when they're happening, uh, why they're happening and how to, you know, really give that consumer, let's just say the customer satisfaction experience that they would expect is, is important. Yeah. Are there any 
holidays that come to mind that you've seen a bunch of brands missing? Because I've heard of a couple of them, like Singles Day. I think especially more recently, we started hearing about these other sales that go on around the world. But is there any big opportunities or like a time when you say, hey, there, there's a sale happening and a lot of brands are like, oh, I've never heard of that. Or, you know, that's never come across my radar before, but it's like a big, big important one. Honestly, the three I listed and the reason for listing them is because they are the most important that typically I would okay. say a lot of brands are, are, are just not aware of. Um, and believe mm-hmm. it or not, don't have strategies, you know, planned around these three sales. And I think that specifically the two in, in both Boxing Day and, and I'd say most importantly, Click Frenzy is probably the one that is most highly missed uh, out of the portfolio of brands just saying, wow, Click Frenzy, I didn't realize how large it was. And it's, it's something that we absolutely want to, you know, help tailor to our, our market, which is, you know, such a, a key focus market for a lot of U.S. brands in, in Australia. Got it. So what kind of strategies are you maybe suggesting to them? Maybe we'll focus on those too. Like how would you walk a brand through these holidays and maybe how to approach it yeah, to get into that market? Yes. I mean, I think it, it all begins with, you know, the, the communication, right? So number one, we talked about the education, the awareness, which is, is obviously going to be key. Um, and then I think with the brand, you know, every brand, as I mentioned earlier, they approach sale differently. So I think when you look at, you know, whether it be a flash sale business, whether it be a a traditionally just natively sale business who's very highly discounted down to, you know, high luxury brands that like to go on sale, you know, at certain times per year, typically two times or so per year. I think it all begins with their engagement, right? And, and obviously a lot of the brands, they free up their time for these marketing efforts and we help break down a lot of barriers to get them to focus their time on the, the strategy. But I think, you know, it, it begins with setting a strategy for each one of these markets and it begins with communication how you're going to touch that consumer, how you're going to touch that consumer in a way that relates locally to them. And then obviously making sure that, uh, that you have all the tools in place to execute on that sale so that when that consumer hits for an Australian day, like click frenzy, you know, they're seeing their currency in Australian dollars. They're, they're aware of GST and, and, you know, the 10% that has to be captured on every single order that is being built into your product price. Like these are things that, you need to, to communicate, hey, we've got a great sale going on, but hey, also, you know, we accept your local currency. You can come buy with confidence. So I think, you know, as long as the marketing strategies within the brands are executing them the way they typically do, um, I think the next step there is to make sure that they've got the tools and the site in place to then, you know, obviously relate to that customer. Got it. And are you helping the, them implement those technologies or are you more giving like avenues of like you could implement this tech stack or you could go with this one? So we typically uh, implement it, right? So all of our brands, like even, you know, all of the ones that I've spoken about and, and the entire portfolio, basically what Globally is doing is helping, you know, let's just say arm and equip their site to be able to speak to an international consumer, right? So they, and, and I'd say, you know, a lot of brands come to us and say, hey, we view you as our international outsourced e-commerce team because we need to understand not only that I need to equip my U.S. site to be able to speak to a consumer in China versus Singapore versus Thailand and Canada and Australia and so on, but I also need to know what's the right proposition, right? Like how do I take insights and data and duty and tax and what do I do with all of these different elements that, that are barriers to that customer buying and, and how do we break it down so it's local to that, that consumer and market? And these are when I say equip the site and be ready for that type of volume to be hitting your site so that you're able to convert that that customer. That's where globally comes into play. Got it. So it seems like you mentioned data earlier. It seems like you would have access to a ton of data from working with all these brands and seeing what works and what doesn't work. Tell us a little bit about some of the insights that you guys are seeing and also teaching your brands when it comes to selling internationally. 
Sure. So I think, you know, the first thing that in an engagement with a brand that we have, right, because there's brands of all different verticals, as you can imagine, whether it be fashion and retail, whether it be beauty, whether it be, you know, footwear, streetwear, and, and so on and so forth. So I think, you know, the, the one biggest insight in, in a lot of brands, you know, I would say come to us for is, hey, we want to understand what the rest of, you know, our vertical is doing. How are they being successful? Like, what are they doing to target, you know, consumers and let's just say all these parts of the world. So, you know, we really, I think from a data perspective, we consolidate it and we sit on mountains of data that we can then drive from an insights perspective to the brand that, hey, based off of where you're selling today and based off of where you should be selling tomorrow, we're going to help you build a strategy on a, let's just say, end-to-end perspective, right? So it all starts from when the consumer hits the site, right? Currency, how are you going to show it? How are you going to also locally round that currency to make sure that it's a number that that consumer can relate to uh, in that market? Down to duty and tax strategies, shipping propositions, and all of the elements that we know are going to have an impact to a consumer buying. And as an example of that, I mean, for a few key markets that we can at least relate to, Canada. Right. Canada is a market that acts very much like the U.S. Right. And I'd say far too many U.S. brands that we tend to see will, you know, typically treat, let's just say, a Canadian shopper as they would a shopper within Singapore. Mm-hmm. Right. And basically just take that product that they're selling and sell it at the same experience worldwide and say, OK, but did I think that a Canadian customer is used to paying tax when they hit a local shop to, you know, to buy the shirt? But they never, ever see, you know, the term duty in in market experience. So on your site, you should never, ever display duty and taxes as part of an overall transaction. Otherwise, that consumer is going to be shocked, see extra cost and abandoned. And there's other elements to how do we how do we factor in duty into the product price? Because that's typically going to be a, a conversion driver for that Canadian consumer. And that goes even into markets like Europe and the UK, where it's that inclusive is, is the typical buying experience for, you know, European consumer. Um, so the second that a U.S. brand now puts at the point of checkout duty and tax and breaks it out, it's going to cut their conversion in half. Right. So mm-hmm. these are the insights on a market by market basis where, you know, every country is is and has to be looked at independently. And far too many times when we come into these conversations, our brand's just taking a single strategy for the world. Um, and I think that's kind of one of the biggest opportunities to help, you know, help our brand succeed. Got it. Yeah, that's great. How are you all staying on top of consumer preferences or making sure that yeah, you're staying on top of what's hot? Like you can think of, you know, like WeChat, like that was, it came up pretty quickly and how people are using it changes all the time, it seems. Like how is your guys' company able to stay up with what people are expecting in different markets and how they're buying. Yes, I think honestly, it's, uh, it has evolved over the years. I think as a mature business with a lot of mature brands that, that obviously we rely on and, and rely on us, you know, depending on which aspect you're looking at of the business, I mean, we've got a lot of robust technology internally uh, that will help with that, right? So from a payments perspective, you know, there's not going to be a single payment provider that's going to be able to take you to offering every single payment method that you need in your arsenal to be able to, let's just say, service the world, right? I mean, enabling WeChat, pay, you know, Alipay, UnionPay into China is, is critically important, but to be able to enable that is, you know, a, a big challenge, right? So I think typically, you know, what we, we do to stay ahead of, let's just say that front is we work very closely with our brands. Like I said, there is a, a knowledge base out there with our brands that, you know, we've built up over these seven years that really drive and, and are a piece of driving our overall roadmap, 
right? So I think the voice of our customer is so critical that we continue to evolve, to adapt and stay up with change. And then, you know, I think also internally, you know, with our focus only being cross-border and international, we've built out the expertise, the knowledge and the data to, to understand that. And I think between the combination of the two, I think what we tend to do is always stay multiple steps ahead where a U.S. brand can then focus their efforts on marketing on their U.S. domestic mm-hmm. market uh, and so forth for our European brands, which is also, you know, no different. Yeah, makes sense. When I'm thinking about everything that's happening right now, it seems like there's a or there is a lot of buying shifts happening, but I haven't really thought about maybe internationally how the buying behaviors are changing. So I was hoping you could maybe touch on any trends or opportunities that you're seeing overseas right now that maybe other people can't spot because they don't have access to all the data that you do. I think when we look at the brands, I think there's a lot of elements um, that we do bring from an insights perspective, right? So when you when you look at the data, it's, it's really a methodology around duty and tax we talked about, right? That's one very, very big element, right? How and what to do with duty and tax in every single market to showcase it. I think when you look at payments, uh, another very, very big element, right? Like Alipay, you mentioned WeChat Pay, Union Pay, all very, very important in China, but then into other markets like Germany, where Klarna is a highly adopted installment type pay method and all throughout the Nordics, it's critical and key. And you have to have that in your arsenal to be able to convert a consumer or even acquire a consumer within that region. And then I think when you even get into, you know, let's just say the Netherlands, right, over 58% that as we see through our platform of all orders are within the Netherlands are paid with ideal, you know? So I think these are the elements when you look at duty and tax strategy, when you look at payment strategy, when you look at overall shipping strategy, right? You mentioned logistics carriers and all the challenges that they're having today. I think another element of that is, you know, from a, a logistics suite offered to your consumer at checkout, you need to make sure that that multi-carrier approach is, is ready, equipped and, and able to handle you know, the the volume that is going to be coming their way, especially as on a daily basis, I can tell you our operations team is is keeping up with the overall feedback from every single carrier from lane closures to lane impacted, even just down to value limitations and free ship thresholds and when to offer what. So I think as you look at the price strategy, the payment strategy, the duty and tax strategy, and you bring literally all of this together from a full end-to-end solution, that's really what obviously makes this uh, a successful approach for brands. Cool. And are there any opportunities you see right now that are popping up where you're like, I see, you know, a lot of maybe consumers internationally looking for this type of product or, you know, there's like an unmet need here that could be solved. Any like secrets that you have about these international markets? I think for me, right, and typically what we tend to see um, in in our market here is, yes, brands come out of the gate saying, okay, I'm going to go international, right? What does that mean? That that to a lot of our brands ends up meaning I want to focus my efforts on English-speaking countries such as Canada, UK, and Australia, right? And I think that's a a good approach, I mean, for for brands to, to splash with. But I think when you look at our business, Globally, and we start to look at markets and regions and then you call it, you know, any, any insights or secrets. I think right now what we've seen is the Gulf region. You know, the Gulf region through COVID is, is a region that really has not decreased at all and only seen a positive growth trend since call it January of this year. Right. So when we let's just call it are reaching like the peak of, of April, I mean, we saw over a 575% growth in year-on-year sales, like for like, which basically the trend has only continued and accelerated May, May through June. I think for me, 
And, and a lot of what we're seeing, even specifically in that Gulf region with luxury, with the UAE, you know, really accelerating with Saudi Arabia, with Kuwait, with Qatar, like these are markets that brands never think in the U.S. market to, to put a strategy behind. And we're seeing such a huge growth globally that I think they're starting to rethink their their strategies. Oh, that's a good one. And have they always kind of been part of your arsenal or is that something also that you guys are kind of pivoting a bit more into that area? So I think the beauty of what Globally does with with our brands is literally with a single integration, you know, whether it be the currency, you know, the 100 plus currencies that we enable or whether it be the 150 different payment methods that we we offer, the duty and tax guarantee for, you know, limiting risk and liability to our brands, all of that pulled together in a single integration opens them up to the world. Right. So the first thing is make sure your site is set up for success so that should a consumer from a certain market hit your site, then they're able to convert. And that is what globally does. And that enables, let's just say, even the Gulf region out of the box. And then it becomes, okay, now we've got a proper offering. Now conversion and sales is accelerated to where we want it to be. And then, and I think those second level conversations begin with, you know, the brands, their market, digital marketing teams and, how do I start acquiring new customers, right? How do I start really pushing my efforts to markets where I know the demand is there um, and that I should not just waste my time trying to cover off all you know, 220 countries and territories out there. It's let's focus in, in major and majors, right? And, uh, and let's really get a strategy together that's going to have an impact to, to our overall acceleration. So I'm thinking when it comes to international sales, the metrics that maybe you're providing back to your customers or that you guys are looking at frequently maybe differ a bit than like US centric sales. Like what kind of metrics do you guys look at to see if things are going well? So I think from our perspective, the, the major metrics that we tend to, I could say, focus on with our brands, right, is, is always going to be conversion, right? Conversion rate is something that, you know, as, as a hosted checkout solution um, globally has a, a full impact on, right? So you know, our brand's checkout is is powered by Globally, as simply, you know, put, right? Meaning that we have hyper-localized every element of that overall checkout, which means if they're going to put in all of the effort from a marketing perspective to get that consumer to a point of checkout, right? Um, we are going to make sure that they are going to buy. Um, and I think when you look at, you know, the the ability and the approach of that, let's just say localization, conversion rate is always the forefront of what we look at with our brand. And then I think sales growth. Right. Like sales growth is revenue is, is always going to be a second key metric that we 100 percent, I would say, study and, and operate and, and look at with our brands and and just full circle rounding it off is, is customer satisfaction. Right. Even down to, you know, NPS scores with our brands that, you know, we share and we look at down to the market level to make sure that, hey, if we're getting some, some negative feedback in a certain market, you know, why? Um, how do we help better equip that that experience uh, from an e-commerce perspective to make sure that we're we're not just seeing and hearing that that feedback, but we're actually yeah. Yeah, cool. When talking about negative feedback, I was just thinking about when launching a new product, it might be easy to think like, oh, I should go international. But oftentimes people internationally don't like the same things maybe as the things that we like here. So is there any advice or um, guiding that you do for these brands who maybe are like, we want to go international, we want to go everywhere. Like, is there ever a time when you're like, actually, I'm pretty sure people in Asia would never use that. Like, they don't like that. No, I think from a brand perspective, you know, our, our approach is, you know, typically always going to be, you know, as a, as a brand, it's, it's the continuing drive to say, 
the way that you've invested and looked at the domestic market, right? Not just from a fragmented perspective, but from a full end-to-end perspective, from the way that you talk to your customer, the way that you show them products, the way that you position products, the way that you know you, you promote products or free ship thresholds or show tax in a certain market. Like, you can't do anything differently when it comes to international, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the, the way that your strategies are built here domestically are not different than, than that of international. And when we really interact with our brands, it's, it's specifically to help educate them on that overall fact, because you're right, it's, you know, consumers expect different things in different markets. And if you're not setting up your site for success to complete that, which is obviously what, you know, our biggest value add is, is that, you know, when our platform sits mm-hmm. on top of your website, you don't have to worry about that anymore, right? And you can now yeah. focus your effort on acquiring new business and new customers, which is really where our brands want to be spending their time, especially the small and mid-sized ones, right? Who don't have these robust teams as some of the larger brands out there. They're, you know, you're talking to owners, you're talking to founders, you're talking to, you know, literally the folks that built this business from the ground up. So they're involved on every single ticket that every single consumer puts through the site and they're reacting to it. So that's why I think, you know, for them to not have the burden of thinking about currency, thinking about, hey, I have to now register my business in Australia or Norway or Switzerland or what's happening in, in the UK with Brexit and how are her duty and that thresholds changing in a market like Canada, which is so important. Like this is stuff that they no longer have to think about. And that's typically mm-hmm. where, you know, we see the brands heading and we open them up to the world so that they're truly giving an amazing experience for the consumers the first time they ever hit their site. Got it. Yep. So it's essentially on the brands to make sure that they have a product that's good and that will sell internationally. And then you guys come in and take care of everything else. But it's kind of up to them to do that due diligence and make sure that the product that they're about to bring internationally is actually a good fit for that market. Absolutely. And uh, I think when you look at the brands, you know, obviously product placement performance, they, they own and control the brand, right? At the end of the day, mm-hmm. The customer is the brand's customer, right? It's, it's their data. They have access to all of this data. It's, it's not ours. It's not our approach with the brands. It's always, listen, we're going to push and give you all the bits of information that you need in order to make, you know, and, and market to that consumer. And then we also help, you know, through partnerships and other marketing channels, even, you know, let's just say bring eyeballs to their site. Um, and I think those are elements when you look at, you know, how can you help brands and how can you obviously to convert that brand? It's, uh, it's super important. Cool. So you just mentioned bringing eyeballs to their site and that piqued my interest in what kind of effective channels are you guys seeing right now to, you know, bring new customers, international customers to these brands? Yeah. And I'll give you, I mean, I'll give you one example that I think is, is a relevant one, right? And we mentioned because it kind of ties into the overall payment perspective that, you know, we mentioned with offering Klarna in Germany and, and the Nordic region. Uh, and Klarna is getting mm-hmm. very active in the payment space, which we've just been following very, very closely. But you know, I think Klarna has done a very nice job of securing, you know, some dominance in that, that European market. You know, one of the elements that we've done is we partnered with them. We said, what can we do from a payments perspective to outreach to your consumers, right? How can we take our brands and put their products within the Klarna network of consumers that exist out there to let them know that this small little mid-sized brand in, in the, you know, the, the U.S., exists. And that mm-hmm. is something that we've done to help the brands just, you know, as, as an example, that is, uh, is super important. Um, and, and we've seen a lot of value and a lot of return from that, where this is something in a market that just typically these brands have not even thought about, you know, putting dollars into. Oh, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. It, it reminds me of earlier when I was talking about like products that maybe um, like opportunities, I mean, 
you hear that stuff happening of people going to, you know, on a vacation to Thailand or like the guy who created Red Bull of like, they're oftentimes overseas when they see something happening. They're like, oh, I see a method of doing this or I see something that people really enjoy. And they may sometimes bring it back to the US, but that's also really interesting kind of creating in a way an exchange that says, hey, here's a bunch of brands that you may not know about. And these overseas brands actually might want to tap into them as well. Precisely. And then I think you get into a whole digital, you know, marketing effort that the brand really at that point takes, you know, takes a stronghold on, which, you know, we even sometimes will help them with. And I think when you look at it, it's like, you know, what, what are you doing from a marketing perspective? Is it Facebook? Is it Instagram? And, and you know, how are you taking it from that digital perspective? And, and a lot of the brands that we market, I mean, are, are especially through the times that we've had now, just really focusing hugely on e-commerce, right? Um, and how to mm-hmm. tap into e-commerce in two ways, either domestic or international, right? <laughs> because that's yeah. that's the world we're living in at this time, which is, uh, you know, posed to, to really push the brands that had not had a firm strategy in e-commerce get there even quicker. Mm-hmm. Do you see any successful marketing efforts that are going on that are kind of like similar themes among brands where, you know, they're all kind of, they've shifted their marketing to this effort or another effort. And you kind of see traction happening that maybe wouldn't have happened before COVID. I think just more the adoption of digital marketing efforts and spend into to more markets outside of the U S Canada, Australia, and, and the UK. Right. I think the first thing is, you know, really getting that digital marketing effort through whether it be Google, whether it be Instagram, whether it be Facebook. I mean, that is the traditional trend that I, I see as, highly adopted right now across the brands that we work with. Each of them do it very, very differently. That's for sure. Um, mm-hmm. But all in a unique way that's unique to their brand where they build a personalized approach to, you know, to build that trust with their consumer um, to get them to return. So I think for me, the channels have been, you know, I'd say pretty consistent in the adoption, like the ones I just mentioned. And then I think it's more about how do I now start focusing on where to do this next? And that is traditionally what I spend, you know, say a decent amount of time with our brands, just, just talking about, you know, what is, what is your strategy? What's the next market that you're going to push money into where you can get a return. And here are some that we see as focused markets for your industry, leveraging what we've seen globally across the, the vast portfolio brands that it is that we work with. Cool. So when thinking about some of the challenges with cross-border shipping, I'm thinking about like the high shipping rates and maybe local return options. And like you mentioned earlier, duties and taxes. How would you go about stack ranking these priorities for a new e-commerce shop who's starting to think about this? Like, what are the things that you just need to, you know, have as number one priority? Because if you miss that, you're kind of done. Whereas the other ones can get figured out along the way. Yeah. So for me, I think the biggest, you know, aspect is is having a full end-to-end approach. Right. And I know we talked about it a bit, um, you know, earlier where the customers from a U.S. perspective are not going to miss a single instance of the way that the customer needs to be communicated to, mm-hmm. talked to, and, and even down to the element of shipping, you know, checked out with. Right. But I think when you look at the, the backings and, and prioritization of, you know, what's most important internationally, I'd probably put duty uh, and tax pricing strategy first. I think uh, when you look at you know, the overall elements and barriers that, you know, may differ uh, between that of a domestic transaction and that of an international one, you know, duty is not something that, you know, many brands are, are equipped to handle, right? And, and I think duty is something that is, is something that brands can most likely understand how to find a solution to calculate. But then I think the question comes into, well, how, how do I calculate duty and tax into every single market throughout the world? Right. And we mentioned Europe being a really key market for that. If you're, 
you know, if you're in Germany and you want to buy, you know, a sweater and you go into your sweater store and you buy that sweater, the experience that you're going to receive is that sweater will be, you know, valued at a hundred euros and you're going to have, you know, nothing more to pay outside of that hundred euro, call it that inclusive experience, right? So if you now try to talk to that German consumer in a way where you're saying, hey, check out my, my website and I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to break out duty for you. I'm going to break out tax and another line item for you. That consumer is not going to relate to it, right? So I think if I had to stack rank them all, even though I think pulling the full end to end is necessary to truly make it work from payments to currency, to communication, to customer satisfaction, like all of those elements, even down through checkout and translation of checkout and, and the ability to recognize city where there is a city or recognize state where there is a state or province where there is a province. These are all elements that should be pulled together, but I would put the duty and price strategy first because I think it is the biggest barrier that brands, I'd say, struggle with. Yeah, that's that's great. It's always good to know where to start, but agree on having an end-to-end solution. So yeah. this is a little bit of a higher level question, but I know there's been, you know, obviously a lot of shakeups when it comes to logistics, like we mentioned early on. Is there any new ways that you hear brands or that you're advising brands to prepare for, you know, if there's another pandemic, if there's something else that happens that maybe, you know, interrupts the logistics and supply chain and all that kind of stuff? Like, do you hear anything behind the scenes of like, okay, going forward, we have this new kind of model or strategy to kind of future-proof us a bit more? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would say through COVID, what it's taught me and where I spent a lot more, let's just say time conversing than I thought I would have uh, with brands was, you know, was building contingency plans, right? What I came to to realize that a lot of, of portfolio brands out there are heavily reliant on a single, let's just say, logistics fulfillment center, right, to manage their D2C business. And I think that as COVID hit and, you know, volumes doubled um, because stores closed and then, you know, fulfillment centers staff had to be cut in half, um, I think that posed for a huge logistics challenge that not many brands, retailers, or 3PL or fulfillment centers were equipped to handle. Basically, double peak volume in a non-peak period, completely unannounced. <laughs> so I think when you, when you bring that all together, you know, I spent a lot of time with our global brands specifically who really, you know, came to us and said, hey, we have some opportunity here, meaning we've got product in many different markets throughout the world. Right. So if, in fact, my facility in New Jersey shut down tomorrow, you know, obviously globally controls the technology elements of it, but, you know, the fulfillment piece they still own. So can we point our website for every single transaction, not change a thing for the consumer so that they're not impacted, but start pulling that product out of Hong Kong? Uh, and the answer is yes. I mean, it's something that we could have easily done and we, we did do. And I built more contingency plans than I ever thought I would have had to with our brands and support them should this had happened, but as I land my plane, I think the the biggest, you know, kind of lesson learned here for me, if I'm sitting on the brand side, is to say, what is my contingency plan? Should something like this come up again? And do I have, or can I turn inventory on in another market or another destination or location? Should my facility in New Jersey get shut down? Yeah, that's great. So are there any disruptions that you see coming maybe to e-commerce after all this kind of settles down a bit that you've built contingency plans around? You know, I think for me, the, the acceleration that's going to continue that started the second COVID hit um, to continuing to, let's just say, accelerate as, you know, each one of these markets typically that got hit hard, you know, six to eight weeks post that time, really, we saw the recovery, 
And it's almost like the, the Far East started and then Europe happened and then the U.S. was kind of the latest, uh, you know, to the table, um, which was, was super interesting. But I think for me, what I'm, I'm seeing a lot of now as I speak to all of our brands on, you know, on a regular basis is we're seeing a lot more brands now equip their business to be more digitally native, right? I think the, the old model of, you know, kind of taking, let's just say, product and putting it in inventory, in market, next to that consumer, and having a, a very, let's just say, highly driven brick and mortar strategy has changed. Um, and I think that the more personalized brands that are equipped to continue to, let's just say, accelerate their digital strategy is either doubling down or it's, it's accelerating. Um, and I think that that is, to me, the biggest you know, disruptor that I see coming in this landscape, which is digitally native brands that exist out there that are highly emotional and personalized to to their consumer are, are really thriving during these times. And I think that we're seeing a lot of the larger, more complex brands that are out there start to really build accelerated strategies to make sure that they keep up. Very cool. So if I'm a newbie with, you know, I'm building my new e-commerce company and I'm starting to think about, you know, going international, is there like, where can I actually look to find out what's happening behind the scenes at some of these brands to maybe see like, how are they operating their logistics or, you know, what is their playbook? Is there anywhere or communities or anything like that, that I can kind of learn from other brands or see the behind the scenes of how it's working? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, typically there's going to be from an education perspective, we see a lot of brands adopting, you know, different cross-border publications, different cross-border strategies through, you know, a lot of the conferences that have now become digital and more, I would say, highly, let's just say, even access, right? Like it's, it's in the past, these, these, you know, trade shows and all these things that used to, to, you know, really thrive on, you know, required a lot of time, a lot of dedication, a lot of effort, a lot of money to be able to access. And I think, you know, now what I'm seeing with these all going virtual is you're starting to see a lot more of adoption into these, you know, these channels where it's a lot easy, a lot easier to, to access. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think when brands typically come, and, and they're looking in the, you know, enabler arena, they learn quite a bit, right? And I think that that is one of the things every time we, we do talk to a brand, it's, uh, you know, is the first thing that they ask us, right? Like, how is our peer group performing today? And are you happy, you know, with our conversion? And, and how and what changes can I make to be able to improve? Um, and I think that that's just, you know, one of the biggest, I'd say, value adds from a data and an insights perspective that, that brands look for. That's great. Yeah, I, I really like the... Uh, idea behind the virtual events are kind of leveling the playing field. So now everyone can get access for either cheaper or free, not have to travel. That's a really good point and a great place to start. Yeah, for sure. So before we move on to the lightning round, is there anything, any topics that you really wanted me to touch on or cover that you were hoping I would bring up? No, I think you hit on a, a very wide gamut of of of, of everything, which is uh, is great. So no, I am I am just I'm fine. Okay, cool. Yeah, I do like to go in many different areas of the conversation. So, all right. All good. Yep. The lightning round, which is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I'm going to ask you a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Matthew, are you ready to go? I am as ready as I will be. All right. What's up next on your reading list? Oof, my reading list, I would have to say Peppa Pig uh, goes, <laughs> is, is one of the next books because my daughter is begging me to read it to her. So I will be most yep. likely reading that this evening with her. It's between either, I would say, Peppa Pig or uh, a Star Wars um, book. So I'm trying the to push one twist, way. I'm not going to say Pig. which way. 
<laughs> exactly. Pippa's super popular right now. So that is next oh, I know. Up on my reading list. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I, I mean, that is probably very honest. That's probably mine too. <laughs> I like it. Yep. My son is Love obsessed it. with that as well. So, all right. What's up next on your Netflix queue? Whew, Netflix queue. No kids stuff. I would say r- r- no kids stuff right now. Um, I would say Dexter is uh, okay. been recommended highly to me and uh, seems to get a lot of good ratings. So I think that with COVID now in place, my wife and I will will saddle in and watch and begin to accelerate the, the number of seasons that it seems that Dexter will bring. That's cool. So if you were to have a podcast, what would it be about and who would your first guest be? Um, I think if I were to have a podcast, I would say, you know, my podcast would probably focus something around sustainability. Um, I think that, you know, right now with everything that's happening uh, in the world today, and when you look at, you know, just, you know, the impacts of of COVID and and everything else that has happened in the world, I think that you're going to see a lot of brands really adopt sustainable you know, activities and, and, you know, life and just in general, right? Even down to our arena, which is, you know, call it uh, shipping um, and then how to package, um, you know, materials and stuff. So I think uh, when you look at it, that would be, you know, for sure my approach and who would my first guest be? I think my first guest would probably be my mentor, my father. Um, I would give him the opportunity to be the first guest on my show. Um, and at least uh, jump in and, and be able to share that memory so that should that podcast take off. I know that I could say that I started it with a family member. Oh, I like that. Yeah, we have been actually talking about starting a sustainability podcast. So now I have a perfect host. You're it. <laughs> <laughs> you let me know. <laughs> yeah, awesome. call you up. All right, yeah. one more. What is a either favorite piece of tech or a new e-commerce tool that makes you more efficient or you're having success with? I would say right now for me, um, there is a a tool called Monday um, that we had Mm -hmm. used that has brought us a lot of efficiency um, in the overall arena of project management, right? So I think managing the level and the the amount of of projects at a single time can be at times overwhelming, right? So within our project group, um, it is a tool that we've adopted that I actually find very, very insightful because it it really gives me a nice view and a clean view of, let's just say, the overall working structure of what what we currently have to deploy and make sure that we continue to support each one of the brands in the queue, whether it be small, whether it be large, um, and get them out on time to hit their overall deadlines to, you know, accelerate their business. That is great. I will have to check that out. Well, Matthew, this has been an awesome conversation. We really did go all over the place, and I think our listeners will love it. Where can people find out more about you and Global E? So for me, I mean, I would say Global E, obviously hit our website, um, you know, www.global-e.com. I think you'll learn a lot, right? I think a lot of the statistics, a lot of case studies, a lot of country market reports, a lot of, you know, let's just say different case studies and things that we've done is going to be there. Uh, You can engage us there. And then, uh, you know, obviously we are happy to, you know, to help any brand of any shape and size. So if this becomes uh, something that you'd love to engage us on, hit the website, uh, submit your information. And we've got a team member in pretty much any part of the world that's going to be able to help you, which is is an incredible, you know, thing to be part of as a such a global, global brand that we are. Amazing. Cool. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. And we will see you next time. Oh, 
Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.